In France, as much as in many other countries, uh, during the whole history of mankind, there have been quite a lot of uh, very strange phenomena in disguise. This is Tim Benall of BenallofAmerica.com with another edition of BOA Audio Season 3. It is March 23rd, 2008, and this week we're calling over to Paris, France for another look at international ufology with our guest, Gildas Bourdais, noted French ufologist. He's going to be joining us for an in-depth discussion on the French UFO scene. We're going to be talking about its history and evolution the fascinating story of the various official government-sponsored French UFO projects throughout the years, the Cometa Report, media coverage of UFOs, the attitude of the everyday public with regards to the UFO phenomenon, the release of the French UFO files in March 2007, the state of French ufology today, and tons and tons more. It is a French-rich episode here with Gildas Bourdais, what he has to say is fascinating stuff, and it is definitely a must-hear interview for any student of international ufology and the global UFO scene. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Gildas Bordes, let me give you a little bit of background on him. Gildas Bordes was born in 1939, studied business administration, worked in technical publishing, and lives near Paris, France. He became interested in UFOs first by reading the books of French author Aimé Michel in the 1960s, and the books of Dr. J. Allen Hynek and Jacques Pellie in the 1970s. He became an active researcher only at the end of the 1980s, after becoming aware of new developments at that time, especially regarding Roswell, UFO secrecy, abductions, and cattle mutilations. He became also interested in the historical, mythological, and religious dimensions of the UFO phenomenon. He's the author of six books, and has been a speaker at several conferences, starting in Brazil in 1997, and in France, Italy, Great Britain, the United States, and Ireland. And now, my friends, without any further ado, let's rock and roll. This interview was recorded in two parts, first on the 13th of February, and then on the 15th of February. It's a pretty seamless cut. I don't think anyone will even notice it. But for the record, this interview was recorded on February 13th and 15th. Gildas Bordes, talking about French ufology on BOA Audio. Season 3. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special edition of Been All of America Audio. We have a very cool guest here, direct from Paris, France, Gildas Bourdais. He's going to be telling us all about French ufology and the French UFO scene. As many of the listeners know, I have a, a great interest in the international UFO phenomenon. When I finally got a hold of Gildas, I knew I wanted to have him on the show here. So we can learn something here about the French UFO scene in French ufology, and Gildas is one of the big players over there in French ufology, so I'm excited to uh, talk to him and really find out a lot about what's going on over there in Europe with the UFO scene. 
Gildas, it's a great pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome to Banal of America Audio. I am. I'm glad to be invited. Well, let's start out with just sort of the general biography background. You know, who is Gildas Bordes? How did you get interested in the UFO phenomenon? Well, I, uh, <clears throat> I am 68 years old now, and I am retired, but um, I uh, worked in the technical publishing after having uh, made some uh, um, business studies, uh, the equivalent of an MBA. Mm-hmm. So that's my uh, professional background. It has nothing to do with UFOs, but uh, I became interested in, uh, in that uh, long time ago when I was already a student. I was... Um, there was already some uh, interesting French studies being done at that time. You know, there had been a big UFO waves in uh, 1954 in France, which was well studied by a French journalist, uh, um, Aimé Michel, and he, he made a good book. So it was already very interesting in France. And then there was, uh, uh, of course, uh, all the... UFO scene, especially in the United States, mm-hmm. and uh, I became more and more interested, and especially in the, during the 70s when, uh, well, to tell you the truth, when there was the pub- uh, publication of the Condon Report, which said there was nothing, I believed it. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was in 1969. <laughs> so I, I lost somewhat uh, interest. I was more interested in uh, the conquest uh, of the moon, the moon, the moon landings, the mm-hmm. Apollo landings yeah. at the time. But then there was the book of uh, Alan Hynek, uh, the astronomer uh, who had been the scientific advisor for the, for the Blue Book um, um, study in, uh, in the U.S. Air Force. And uh, these astronomers... Uh, published a book saying, uh, yes, there are UFOs. <laughs> so it was a, a big shock, actually. <laughs> and I, I told myself, if this man says that, there must be something to it, you see. And then I became interested and again. And in France, at the same time, uh, there were many uh, UFO uh, observations, and uh, there was um, a lot of interest for UFOs in France with a journalist, Jean-Claude Bourret, who made uh, radio shows, and uh, called the uh, UFO of pas de panique. UFOs don't panic, you see. <laughs> it was very interesting. And he made a, a series of books. And uh, that's when there was a creation uh, at the end of the 70s in France, but we, I suppose we are going to go back on that, of the French service. And uh, I, well, I became more and more interested. There was a, a, I was less interested in the 80s because it was be- becoming confusing again. And, but I uh, caught a book almost by chance toward the end of the 80s, which was the second book of the American writer Whitley Strieber about abduction experiences. Mm-hmm. And I was fascinated by this story. I began r- reading lots of books of, on abductions and also on Roswell uh, uh, later on. So I became a kind of French specialist on Roswell and... Uh, <laughs> Finally, I have uh, written books in, in the 90s, and uh, even recently I have written six books, and I have become known as ufologist. That's my story. There you go. You have given me already a lot of food for thought here. Before we talk about the official French ufology, I guess let's talk a little bit about what you know as far as the history of the UFO phenomenon in France. You know, like here in America, we sort of have the airships, 
of the late 1800s, and then we have yes, the yes, Foo Fighters yes. of World War II, and then you could, I'm sure right. you know, when, and my listeners know the history of ufology in America from that point on. Yes. What was uh, what was going on over in France as far as UFO sightings and the evolution of the phenomenon there? Yes. Well, um, publicly speaking, uh, there were uh, there were observations of UFOs uh, um, around the beginning of the 50s, some inter interesting sightings. And as I said already, there was a big wave in 1954. There were lots of close encounters already at that time. Many more than uh, nowadays, actually. Huh. There was sustained interest with uh, many books. There were already some private groups of ufology being created at the time, in the 50s. There were some pioneers, like uh, French writer Jimmy Guilleux, who wrote uh, a couple of books uh, which were quite uh, advanced at the time. So there was an interest for UFOs in France, definitely. But these things became uh, much more serious uh, with the creation of the French uh, official uh, study group in 1977 yeah. called GEPAN. GEPAN means a group for... Uh, uh, what does it mean, by the way? <laughs> uh, for the study of... Uh, Aerospatial, uh, unidentified aerospatial phenomena, mm -hmm. which means in French, phénomène um, aérospatiaux non identifié. The initials is PAN, P-A-N, which uh, is the same as UAP in English, you see. Yeah. And so there was a creation of uh, French service in 1977, uh, an official service inside the French uh, National Center for Spatial Studies, Centre National d'Études Spatiales, CNES. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it was a small service, of course, but it had the luck to come across rapidly upon uh, some very interesting cases. Let me jump in with a question here based on, uh, you sent an awesome uh, article that you written called The Death and Rebirth of Official French Ufology. And, right, right, right. That's the story, yes. Yes, yes and yes. Be, uh, we'll have a hard link to that at the website with the interview. Um, and the question I had okay. that uh, is sort of in the time frame that you're talking about with Japan is that you say in the article that the creation of uh, Japan was really uh, driven by the military and was opposed by yes, science. exactly, exactly. That's an interesting point, I think, because there was a um, military study which was made in 1974, or maybe later, I don't know exactly the date, but uh, a couple of years before the creation of Japan. Mm -hmm. And it was made inside the Institute for Advanced Studies on National Defense, or uh, in French, Institut des Hautes Études de Défense Nationale. They had made recommendation. I have a copy of it, actually. It was given to me. And uh, they recommended the creation of, uh, of Japan. But uh, on the other hand, uh, in the scientific and intellectual circles, uh, there was very little consideration for UFOs. They were considered to be uh, phony stories, uh, um, purely psychological uh, phenomena. And so there was, uh, yes, uh, there was a sharp contrast between uh, the military on one side and uh, and some people in the CNES, like the director of the time, Yves Sillard. If you have seen my paper, you have the, uh, his, uh, his photo on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was uh, a very 
important person in the history of French ufology because he created Chapin and together with um, the engineer Claude Poer, who had done uh, himself some uh, studies personally, like statistical studies. So uh, these people joined and uh, together for the creation of Chapin. That's how it happened. Yeah. After that, um, well, there were some uh, ups and downs, as you have seen in my story, yeah. in the story, and uh, some sharp ups and downs, actually. You're saying the sharp ups and downs in Japan or just over the course of time since then, with, you know, the closing and the opening and all that stuff? Well, it, 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 uh, there were conflicts as soon as it was created, actually. Oh, really? That's one thing I didn't uh, mention uh, in my uh, article, but uh, let me tell you a word about that. In France at the time, there was a split in the, among ufologists. Mm -hmm. uh, some uh, of them began uh, to be very skeptical about UFOs. Let me explain this way, because uh, there were young people, some, many of them who, who, who were uh, convinced that uh, everything was going to be revealed, that they were going to find the truth about UFOs, etc. Yeah. And that didn't happen, as you know. <laughs> we are still... Uh, in, faced with a big mystery. So they became skeptical, some of them. Mm -hmm. They began attacking Japan as soon as it was created, you know. French ufologists attacked Japan. So that's a, another peculiar situation, a particularity of the French story, that the ufologists were attacking the Japan at the time when Japan was launching into very interesting studies. Isn't that funny? Yeah, it's strange. It's very strange. It's very strange, yes, yes. Were they skeptical of the government aspect of it, where they thought it was going to be part of the cover-up? Is that sort of where their complaints were? Some of them, yes. They were, well, the, the skeptics were uh, against UFOs. Yeah. But there were also uh, some uh, conspirationist-oriented people already at the time. Yeah. Who were already denouncing the, the cover-up in France. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> the Japan the was attacked on both sides in, in some way. And this is uh, still the case today, by the way. Really? It is still uh, that way today. In the French Japan of today, you have the skeptics. I am speaking on, of ufology here, the, mm -hmm. the, the ufological population. <laughs> there are skeptics which are, they have published a book on the internet attacking everything that Japan has done uh, in 30 years all the best cases. <laughs> and on the other side, you have people, uh, conspirationist-minded, uh, who, who, who keep denouncing uh, cover-up. So uh, that's an interesting point. Let's talk about it once ago. Are there secret files in France? I think there are, yes, probably, <laughs> but uh, not many, not many. That's another uh, very big difference uh, with the American scene, because uh, in the United States, you don't have actually any official service today. Yeah. But uh, everyone understands that there are big studies, you know, big fights. And as you, you, you know, there has been a, 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 a press conference uh, lately in November in Washington mm -hmm. with many important uh, witnesses, like two generals uh, and uh, others who ask for the reactivation of uh, 
official studies in the United States. Who knows? Maybe this is going to happen. I don't know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I wish. I don't know. I wish. Okay. Let me jump in here on the timeline and ask you, uh, when you were telling your biography part here, you said things were confusing in the 80s. Did you mean uh, yes. in the UFO scene things were confusing or just that, you know, you had other things going on in your life and you weren't interested in UFOs? No, no. The UFO scene was becoming confusing because it was becoming very complex. There were many cases which drew attention at, the, at that time of uh, sightings which... Uh, displayed some absurd scenes. There were some crazy uh, uh, observations of uh, beings uh, like uh, we already had seen that in 1954, but uh, it began to wait a lot on ufology, yeah. it seems to me. And uh, then there was in the United States that uh, things became much more uh, complex also with the, the beginning of the Roswell case and many te uh, testimonies about secret uh, research and operations mm -hmm. and also a very big new development which was uh, many more and more testimonies of abductions. Yeah. And also you had this very peculiar and uh, worrying problem of cattle mutilations, which apparently, well, that's my opinion, which is shared by many people, which is somehow linked with UFOs. I don't know what you think about that, but uh, all these added up to uh, make a very, very, well, it was becoming very confusing, in fact. Yeah. That's what I, I, I said. Do you want to keep going here with the chronology of official French ufology? Should we keep talking about yes, that? Yes, we can okay. come back on that. And uh, then, so uh, what happened in the, at the beginning of the 80s was uh, they came across two very good cases, the Trans-en-Provence case and Lamarante in 1981 and 82. Mm -hmm. And uh, they made some very sharp studies in that. Especially, on, uh, well, the, in Trans-en-Provence, there was a brief landing of a small UFO in a garden in the south of France, which left uh, a round trace on the ground and which made some very bizarre effects on plants around. And this was very well studied. There was the gendarmerie, the gendarmerie, the military uh, police officers who came and um, took measurement pictures and uh, took samples of the plants which were studied in a, in a public laboratory. There were agreements, by the way, which had been passed with several laboratories, so all this was done very well, actually, um, despite the critics, because there are also, as I said, uh, people who, who criticized everything, who said that it was uh, it was no good at all, but uh, that's not true. It was very well made. It drew a lot of interest uh, in the world, around the world. But what happened then is that um, obviously this didn't please at all the scientific establishment. And uh, shortly afterward, the, the activity of Japan was, uh, was, was reduced drastically. So the, the engineer in charge at the time was... Uh, uh, Esther, because uh, Claude Poe had left already. He was disappointed because he, after a couple of years, he had the impression that they couldn't, they, they didn't listen to him. So he had left already. Mm -hmm. Then Alain Esther left 
1983, though that's one year after the two cases I was talking about, the activity was reduced and uh, there was only one, one young engineer left, Jean-Jacques Velasco. And Jean-Jacques Velasco has been a courageous man. I think uh, we can uh, say that today because he left, he, 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 he remained, I mean, at Japan during 20 years. And uh, he actually, uh, he retired just last year. Let me sort of, I'll sort of jump in and, and help you out a little bit here. Yes. Because Japan, eventually uh, they changed the name, it became uh, Sepra. So why don't you talk about yes, that transition? Yes. Well, it was the time when the the service was very reduced, and Sepra didn't, didn't refer anymore to UFOs. Actually, it was supposed to study uh, uh, debris from uh, from rockets and, and satellites, things like that, you know. Mm-hmm. But it was still studying UFOs, but very discreetly. But what happened is that um, <clears throat> in 1999, a group of uh, senior officers, both uh, public and military, called Cometa, issued a report, the Cometa report in 1999, mm-hmm. which had quite a lot of impact. And in that report, they, they said several things. They said that, yes, there are UFOs. Yes, they are probably extraterrestrial. They pose a problem of uh, national defense. And there is obviously a policy of secrecy in the United States about that, mainly in the United States, not only, but mainly. And uh, we should resume studying UFOs seriously in France. We should reactivate the group. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened in the following years. Again, there was a, a very shaky uh, history again for a couple of years because the engineer Velasco got tired of being uh, rebuked all the time on both sides, as I explained, from the skeptics and from the, the conspiration issue. There. Mm-hmm. And he, he published his book, his own book, in uh, 2004, which was called uh, at the time OVNI L'Evidence, UFOs de Evidence which is a play on words in French, because in French, evidence means uh, obviousness, actually. <laughs> well, he meant, yes, of course, the presence of UFOs is obvious. Yeah. He, he, he said about almost the same things as uh, the Cometa report, actually, it was. Uh, and uh, then uh, there was a almost immediate reaction against that, which was to close the, the service, the SEPA. But then one year later, they realized that it was impossible to to remain that way. There was a lot of pressure in the um, in the press and around to reopen reopen it. And the decision was made in um, July 2005 by a new director of uh, CNES, the French uh, National Center for Spatial Studies, to create a new department. And that was uh, what we have now. The Japon, the same name with an I added for information. <laughs> Japon, Japon. <laughs> so there was a new engineer we, which, who replaced uh, Jean-Jacques Velasco, uh, Jacques Patenet, and uh, he's already a senior uh, engineer in NES, 59. He was 59 already, and he's not very far from retirement now. So probably in a couple of years there will be a new man at Japon. Uh, Wow, and uh, perhaps it will uh, give some new new blood to Japan. Who knows? Huh? 
because uh, this man is a honorable engineer. He's a nice man. I have met him several times. But obviously, he doesn't uh, want to shake too much the, <laughs> the tree, if I can say that. Yeah. And one of the points that you make in, the, in your piece here, uh, the death and, and rebirth of official branch ufology, is a common misconception by some that Cometa was uh, issued by the French government, which it wasn't. It was a civilian, independent civilian report, correct? Yes, yes. It was a civilian, independent and civilian. But to tell the truth, it, they began the study with the approval of the Institute for Advanced Studies on National Defense, the EHDN. They, they began the study in, inside EHDN. At the time, the, the head of EHDN, General Nola, uh, approved them. And you have, in the commentary reports, if you have seen it uh, with the illustration, you have the, the picture of the General Nola, who was uh, high in the military hierarchy. Uh, he was a, a four-star general. And uh, he, he, proved, he approved the launching of that study. But later on, he was replaced by a new man who didn't like at all uh, the study. So they, they stepped out of uh, EHEDN mm -hmm. and became a, a completely independent and private group. But in that group, you have uh, several uh, senior officers, like uh, the head of the group, General Denis Letty, who is... Uh, um, Air Force General, another Air Force General, General Bruno Lemoyne. You have you had Admiral, an Admiral, Admiral Merlo, who is dead now. You had um, several um, senior engineers for um, armaments, so very official people actually. Yeah. That's why there was um, there was uh, many people and felt that it was an official report, but it was not really. Yeah. That's the explanation. Before we sort of jump into some other stuff, let me get, let me just sort of jump back, I guess you could say, to the history of the UFO phenomenon in France. You said that there was this wave in 54, but France has a long history. Were UFOs a part of that history? Were, you know, was it something that people knew about mm -hmm. and, and talked about, or was it something that sort of just burst on the scene in the 1900s, if you will. Ah, so you want to go back a long time ago in history. Yes. What I can say is that in France, as much as in many other countries, uh, during the whole history of mankind, there have been quite a lot of uh, very strange phenomena in the skies. And we had a share of that in France too. Mm -hmm. Definitely, yes. There were observations uh, all the centuries where we have historical records. <laughs> yeah, okay. To give an example, there was, in the 18th century, uh, some uh, patients uh, saw a big uh, luminous sphere land in their, in their fields, and uh, they gathered around, but it was uh, very impressive, so they didn't come too close. But suddenly there was a door which opened, and... Uh, uh, beings which stepped out and fled. <laughs> That's the kind of story you, you have. And then the sphere exploded, if I remember well. Weird. Uh, yes, very weird. Now, do you want to talk about the uh, the UFO wave of the 50s? Yes. Let's talk so about the, that. The 1954 wave is a very interesting wave because um, there were many close encounters. Yeah. 
I think there were about 300 reports of close encounters. One of the most famous ones happened in the north of France, in a little uh, place called Carouble in France. And uh, the witness, main witness, was uh, Marius de Wild or de Wild, whatever you want to pronounce it. It's a, a very peculiar case because it, it, it has remained probably a secret file. Uh, that's an example of it. Yeah. Uh, th this, this man was a worker in the steel works uh, nearby and he was uh, living in a little uh, house uh, along a railway track in the country. It was a rather isolated area. And then uh, he heard noise, his dog barking and came out and uh, he came across two little beings which scared him a lot. And there was a craft landed on the railway track. And uh, these beings went back to the craft and it took off. But after that, they found traces on the railway track, on the, 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 the wooden pieces. Huh. And uh, later, so the gendarmes, the police, the the air police, etc., the, the engineers of the um, uh, railway uh, came and studied all that. And uh, two years later, you know, the, the journalist I was talking about at the beginning, Amy Michel, who studied that wave, um, met with a railway engineer who told him that they had measured the weight of the craft with the prints. Mm -hmm. It was about 30 tons. Wow. And Jean-Jacques Velasco, when he was became uh, the engineer at Sepra, he, he tried to find the file, but could never put his hands on it. Huh. He wrote that in his book, you know. Yeah. So that's a pretty uh, impressive case. Absolutely, definitely. You see? These sort of close encounters were going on all the time there in the 50s, huh? Well, there were, yes, there were quite a uh, few, there were many cases, and that's why uh, ufology became soon active in France, actually, with a lot of groups. Uh, well, it has, there have been ups and downs again, mm -hmm. and recently uh, it has, after so many ups and downs, the French ufology has been uh, active again, probably also because of the reactivation of the official service. Yes. The present situation is, uh, I would call it intermediary. We are not so active as like uh, in the United States, for instance. We don't have big groups like MUFON. And, uh, okay, now we've talked about the history of official French ufology uh, via the CNES. We followed it from uh, Gapon to Sepra, the Cometa release, uh, the closing of Sepra, and of course the uh, the recreation of, of the new Gapon. I guess uh, before we jump into unofficial civilian ufology, I wanted to ask you, why do you think there is still an interest in official ufology in France when here in America in the early 70s we closed down our version of what you guys have. You know, we closed down Blue Book, and yes. there is no official U.S. Uh, UFO agency, but in France it's been going on since 77. Why do you think there is such a big difference there between the two countries and official stances on UFOs? I think that uh, we don't have so many secrets in France than in the United States. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> you see my point? Yeah, yeah. And I think that uh, <laughs> the American... Uh, uh, military, mm -hmm. mainly the U.S. Air Force and uh, others, other uh, bodies uh, have accumulated uh, considerable knowledge <laughs> about UFOs. Yes. Yeah. But uh, behind doors, behind closed doors, 
Well, it's it, <laughs> my opinion. It's that it began uh, in the forties already uh, with uh, the Roswell case and yeah. may, maybe other files before that. So there is a much longer and much bigger history of ufology in the United States, in your country, but uh, a good part of it remains unknown, secret. In France, as I said, we probably have some secret files. I, uh, I gave an example with the, the very curious uh, landing in 1954, with, which was thoroughly studied, but uh, Jean-Jacques Velasco, the engineer, cannot find a, couldn't find the file. When yeah. he looked for it, yeah. So there are probably secret files in France, but uh, at a very, very, very smaller scale, you know. And uh, I would say it is probably the same in uh, other European countries. In Italy, I know a little bit. Uh, Italy, I have been invited there several times, and twice I have seen uh, two separate years a uh, Air Force colonel presenting the. UFO studies in uh, inside the, the Italian Air Force, and uh, in Great Britain uh, there are secret rules probably, although some people think there are not. But uh, like Nick Pop, who is a friend of mine, uh, who was uh, responsible for the UFOs in, the, as you know, in the, in the 90s, he had the UFO desk at the Ministry of Defense in Great Britain. And uh, <clears throat> they have published, they are publishing uh, some, they are beginning to publish on the internet the UFO files, a bit like the, the French have done. So it's the same in Spain. They have published some files, and in, it's the same in South America. They have, uh, I have been invited in uh, the autumn uh, at, uh, in Brazil, and there were many uh, official studies presented there from Chile, from Peru, from uh, Brazil, from uh, Uruguay. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would say that uh, the, the French case is not uh, very peculiar. It's just the American case, which is very <laughs> peculiar today. Yeah, based on what you know, because I had Nick Pope on the show, and we were talking about this very question of why, why it's still going on in, in the U.K. and not in the U.S., Yes. Um, would you say the situation is the same in the UK, where, as in France, where you know there may be some secret files, but they're not as prevalent as in the United States? Yes, plausibly. Yeah. I would say that uh, it's also plausible that uh, they know more than the French because they are closer to the to the Americans. Yeah. So let's would say that uh, the the British are somewhere in between. Okay. Like I said, we've talked about the official ufology world over there in France, but let's talk about the unofficial world, the civilian yes. ufology. For starters, I guess, just talk a little bit about how it sort of started over there and how long it's been going on, you know, the uh, the yes. civilian interest in ufology and sort of that evolution. Like here in America, to give you an example, you know, it started out with, with scientists that were interested in it, turned into, you know, NICAP and APRO, and now we have MUFON right. and, and it had its ups yes. and downs. Let's talk about the history of uh, civilian yes. ufology in France. Well, there have been quite a number of uh, ufolo independent ufologists, but uh, the French have never been able to build uh, independent groups as strong as the American ones you were just uh, mentioning. Mm -hmm. 
So it's, uh, it has remained um, a little uh, scattered and uh, with ups and downs along the years and the decades, and it's still uh, more or less the case today. However, we, we did have some very good uh, studies made by independent groups and publications. And uh, it started uh, in, the, in the 50s with some uh, uh, interesting works. For instance, the, the study of the uh, UFO wave, which I mentioned already, uh, of 1954, which was very well made by Aimé Michel with a book which, were, which he published in 1958 and uh, some other books. Some translation to uh, some effect, like uh, books of Frank Edwards, but uh, this was a bit later. Now it began to take shape uh, in France in uh, in the 60s with two groups and uh, magazines. The first one was called uh, GEPA, not to be mistaken with Gepon. Yes, that was in the 60s. GEPA meant. Uh, Group d'études des phénomènes aérospatiaux, something like that, and it was uh, it had some uh, some some backing uh, uh, from important people. It was presided over for uh, several during several years by an, an Air Force general, General Lionel Chassin, uh, with many stars on his uh, shoulders. I don't remember. I think I think five stars. Oh wow! But uh, five stars is only first. We have one more star in France, you know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but he was an important, uh, yes, he was an important uh, general in the Air Force. So that's, uh, you see, as a, another example as soon as the 60s of uh, manifest interest of uh, the military yeah. for UFOs. And uh, they had a, a good review, Phenomen Spatio, which uh, lasted during uh, about 20 years. Uh, with um, René Fouéré, who was the, the editor. And there was another group uh, which um, appeared in the 60s too, uh, called Lumière dans la nuit, which is uh, a poetic name, Lights in the Night. Mm -hmm. And they, are, they had a review, which still exists today, in short, LDLN. And it was uh, started by a good man, Fernand Lagarde, who published also a very interesting book at the time in the, in the 70s. And uh, later on, it was uh, taken over by um, Joël Ménard, who still runs the, the review today. I like this review, although it is a very small one, because it has been uh, keeping uh, a good level of uh, study and thinking uh, and ufology yeah. over the years. So uh, I want to, to uh, stress that. But also there were some uh, journalists, well-known journalists, who began to take interest in UFOs in the 70s. There was a wave of interest, as I mentioned already. Yeah. And um, there was a journalist, Jean-Claude Bourré, who began to um, talk about UFOs in a um, popular radio show and who published several books in the 70s. So it seemed to be uh, getting, uh, getting uh, momentum in the 70s. Mm -hmm. However, it didn't uh, went so easily because uh, 
beginning in 75 uh, appeared uh, a movement of skepticism in French ufology. One of the main uh, proponents of that trend was Michel Monnery, who came from that group, Lumière dans la Nuit, and who was uh, who separated uh, from that group and became a complete skeptic with wow. a book which was published in 1975. And... Um, he was followed by other books and authors. Uh, Michel Monnery uh, joined the very rationalist French uh, uh, institution called Union Rationaliste, the Rationalist Union. <laughs> Perhaps the France is the only country in the world to have an Union Rationaliste, I don't know. <laughs> That is a very specific French uh, uh, aspect of a French uh, situation. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that Union Rationaliste was presided over by uh, a well-known astronomer of the French establishment, who, by the way, was uh, also a communist militant, Avery <laughs> <laughs> uh, Schatzman. And this man has been very powerful at the time and uh, even uh, in the 90s he remained quite powerful i think he's dead now but this trend you know is part of the french landscape you have to know that mm -hmm. that there is a rationalist trend in academic the circles the, the french uh, intellectual uh, circles establishment and scientific establishment so how do an ufology stand uh, in front of all these uh, these people? Well, they are they are a small uh, activity, and uh, they have remained so. We have to admit that the main uh, shape of mind in French uh, the French uh, scientific and intellectual world remains one of skepticism. I don't know if we can say that in the United States, but I'm afraid. That still it is still a bit that way too yeah so what happened is that uh, at the end of the 70s there was a very peculiar situation where official ufology was uh, beginning mm -hmm. and with uh, very good studies as i said already but at the same time there was a skeptical trend taking shape and they, these people attacked uh, japan at the time yeah there was an article in the popular magazine Science et Vie attacking the Japon at, this, at the very time when it was, it was created. It was very bizarre. Mm -hmm. And um, even uh, Joel Ménard, who is a friend of mine, uh, I met him in the beginning of the 90s when I began studying ufology. He told me that at the time, at the end of the 70s, he was very discouraged because of these people um, like Monnery and others, mm -hmm. and uh, Bartel and Brucker, who had made, uh, who had written a devastating book against the French UFO wave of 1954. And uh, Joël Menard was discouraged. He was uh, considering quitting completely uh, ufology and going back to his job, professional job as a mathematics teacher. <laughs> but then, he suddenly realized that the book of Bartel and Brucker on the UFO wave of 1954 was full of errors and lies. He discovered that. And then uh, <laughs> he changed his mind and he became uh, more than ever positive and active in ufology. So you see, there has been, since that time, since the end of the 70s and the beginning of the 80s, mm -hmm. 
there has been a big split in French ufology, and it, is, it still goes on today. I'm there for one reason, to challenge you for a world championship match in the WrestleMania. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. You get the giant, the only professional wrestler who's still undefeated, and Hulk Hogan, Hulk is over! <laughs> and here in America, we sort of have a split in the sense of within ufology over how to uh, study the phenomenon, and it breaks down sort of like nuts and bolts ufology yes. versus a spiritual aspect of ufology. Uh, right. Where would you say? Yeah. Where would you say? We have that in France too. Okay. Yes, we have that in France too. We have the nuts and bolts uh, side of ufology, which is uh, rather the side of the. The official groups and the official studies, actually. The Comita report is a very nuts and bolts uh, publication and mm -hmm. study. And uh, the same as Jean-Jacques Velasco, the engineer, his book is very nuts and bolts. And uh, I must admit that I, I am myself a little uh, I, rather on that uh, line, although I differ from these officials because I... Um, open to the idea of uh, parallel worlds and uh, other dimensions. Mm -hmm. Now, I would like to try to explain something. Yeah. Sure. Because I have mixed feelings about that because I sense, well, right or wrong, that these complex aspects may be used by some people to try to confuse matters. <laughs> yeah. And it may be a strategy of uh, protection of secrecy. Huh. So that uh, this is a very difficult uh, discussion to have. And maybe I'm going to shock some uh, people uh, now because I think that uh, I have this feeling about the, the, the many books of Jacques Vallée. Yeah. Uh, Jacques Vallée was a very good ufologist at the beginning. I should have mentioned that. He did uh, some, uh, a couple of very good books, groundwork of serious studies in the 60s. Then he went to the United States. He was, became assistant of uh, astronomer uh, Heineck, who worked at the time for the Air Force. And there was something strange happened. Toward the end of the 60s, Jack Vallée published when the first book, which was very interesting. In fact, it was translated in French in 1974, Passport to Magonia. Mm -hmm. You probably have heard of that book, I suppose. Oh, yes. And uh, this was probably the first book where it, which opened the gate to that sort of reflections that maybe UFOs were not what we thought they might be, uh, like nuts and balls crafts, but something much more, uh, str much stranger. Yes coming from other dimensions, etc. Mm -hmm. And he opened the way to also to the um, reflections. Well, he wasn't the first one, actually, but um, he launched a new reflection on the historical aspects with uh, all the old legends with fairies, etc. Yeah. And uh, after that, he published another book in the 70s, uh, toward the end of the 70s, called Messengers of Deception. I remember that I, I was a bit shocked by that book at the time, and I wrote to him, but he didn't answer. I told him, I don't understand what, 
what you are saying now, because he was suggesting, he was beginning to suggest that uh, we were in a in the midst of many, many uh, lies and disinformation. But he had a very strange approach to that. He was suggesting already that many stories of uh, nuts and bolts, UFOs, of uh, maybe crashed UFOs, well, that was a bit later, but he wrote many books like that in, uh, in the 90s, like uh, Other Dimensions, mm -hmm. Confrontations and Revelations. It was three books in a row developing that sort of idea that uh, the the stories of UFO crashes, of uh, abductions, of uh, um, extraterrestrials were all wrong and were probably, some of them at least, were disinformation. So it's, that's, uh, that's where the things were, the, the, the discussion of was became very complex and difficult, yeah. I think. So this is, there is that aspect, but uh, yes, there is also in France a distinction to be made among people who believe in UFOs. I shouldn't say that, that's not a good word, <laughs> who, who, who have an interest in UFOs. There, you go. there are those who uh, keep uh, thinking in terms of uh, nuts and bolts crafts or being able to travel through other dimensions, which is already a bit more complex. But also, there are other people who more and more have been thinking in terms of um, spiritual dimensions uh, or whether angelic or demonic also, because we also have authors like that mm -hmm. in France, like in the United States. In, in the United States, one of the people who opened that door was uh, John Keel, for instance. Yeah with uh, some famous book like The Mothman Prophecies. and We have that sort of uh, thinking in France, too. We have uh, about uh, the same categories of thinking in France as in other countries, yeah. I would say. What would you say uh, the thoughts are in France regarding the American UFO scene? You know, is there resentment of America? Because, as you said earlier, you think that we have probably more secret files than France and that we've been in the UFO game, if you will, for longer than France. What's the attitude in France regarding American ufology and America in general with regards to UFOs? Yes, I think you, there is something like that, yes. Would you, you say the resentment? Yes, there is a kind of uh, irritation and resentment. You, you see it in the, in the Cometa report, for instance. Mm -hmm. You can sense that in the Cometa report, they mentioned the problem of UFO secrecy and uh, French ufologists have that, that way of thinking. I, I, I must admit that I do have that way of thinking, too. <laughs> <laughs> although I like very much the United States and I like to be invited there. And, uh, I was last year twice, by the way. I was in Roswell and in the, at the X conference in Washington. Mm -hmm. I had the pleasure to be invited, thanks to your your friend, I think, uh, Tris Sheridan, Yes. by the way. And uh, so there is, let's try to be clear, as clear as possible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have, don't have a personal grudge or hostility against the American people, <laughs> not at all. But we are some people who think that, uh, yes, there is a big secrecy and... Uh, and we would like to know more <laughs> about that. Now, may I add something? Another 
idea which seem, seems important to me. Mm -hmm. It is that uh, the question is, is it wise to to ask so so hard for the for the end of secrecy? You know, <laughs> I'm not so sure at all. After all, after having thought about it. Perhaps it is better if some secrets remain secret for the time being. I don't know. Uh, perhaps I am surprising you now. But uh, that's the way I begin to feel now. Just to extrapolate on that, what secrets do you think need to be – I know they're secrets, so we don't know exactly what they are, but what aspects of the secrecy do you think need to be held back? Well, I would say that uh, it's a probably very complex in, in the sky <laughs> – well, the, <clears throat> the history of mankind is complex, and the history of other civilization, civilizations is very complex, probably, mm -hmm. from uh, extraterrestrial or other dimensional, etc. Yeah. And they may not be all friendly. <laughs> yeah. There may be some dangers outside. That's one reason. And uh, the fact that uh, there have been so many abductions and... Uh, Seemingly uh, genetic manipulations, all that is not very friendly. It doesn't sound very friendly yeah. my, to me. Cattle mutilations also. And, uh, and uh, another reason is that there is that historical dimension of the whole story, which may have tremendous effects it, if it was revealed uh, all at once, you know, in one big package. Yes, yeah. and I, I just want to make note that the question here about American ufology uh, came from our writer, uh, Michael Chiron Bruin, so that's not a question. I just wanted to make note of that. The next subject I want to talk to you about is the role of the media over there in France and their perspective on the UFO phenomenon and maybe how that's changed over the years. Uh, in your recent article here, The Death and Rebirth of Official French Ufology, you mentioned that it seems like maybe yeah. things are getting better. Um, so I guess just talk about that evolution and maybe when it was bad and how it's getting better and all that good stuff and how it's changed over the years. Yes. All right. Well, there has been uh, some hesitation in the French press in the last few years, especially uh, regarding the, the recreation of the official service. But uh, and uh, yes, as I said in my article, uh, perhaps uh, things are the mood is changing and is becoming a little more positive and favorable. Uh, well, we will see if uh, this is confirmed in the coming months and years. But uh, if you permit, I would would go back uh, in the years before. Sure, go ahead. There was a more um, open attitude during many years. In fact. Um, like uh, I mentioned already, a series of uh, articles and uh, radio programs in the 70s, mm -hmm. which were favorable, and uh, like uh, the radio program of Jean-Claude Bourré, and um, it was very popular at the time. I remember there was a conference by Jean-Claude Bourré in the 70s at the big uh, concert hall in, in Paris, the the Salle Pleyel. It was it was full of people. There were two, three thousand people. I don't know at least. Wow. To listen to Bourré on UFOs, you see. Mm -hmm. So um, it was um, still favorable. Even in the 80s, we had some. There was a, 
a very interesting program with many people in uh, 1984 and French TV. And uh, Jean-Jacques Velasco was there and there were other well-known people. And uh, again, when I published my first book that was in 1994, mm -hmm. I had a number of uh, radio and, and TV invitations on French television and uh, and the press. I had articles like in the weekly magazine uh, Paris Match and, uh, and French uh, television. But uh, there was uh, a big accident in the following year. Uh, that was the, the scandal between quotes of the the autopsy, you know, the alien autopsy. Oh yeah. Which uh, which appeared in the in the summer of 1995, and uh, you you know it was everywhere in the around the world. There mm -hmm. was uh, the big shock of the alien autopsy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in France, in France, it was particularly uh, dramatic because um, it triggered a very very violent campaign against. Not only against that film, but against uh, Roswell about uh, and about UFOs. Wow. More generally, uh, what happened is that when um, the first articles appeared, there was a first show on, on the number one French uh, television network, TF1, at the end of June, um, with uh, Jacques Pradel, the journalist Jacques Pradel, and then the hell began to break loose with a series of articles led by Pierre Lagrange. I think I mentioned this mm -hmm. man already. He was a sociologist who uh, has been uh, discreetly negative, I would say, uh, very ambiguous. But then, at that time, he, he signed a big article in the popular magazine Science TV, mixing everything and saying that... Uh, it was completely ridiculous, and that Roswell is ridiculous. It's a story of um, um, weather balloons, Mogul, Mogul balloon, and that there was an inquiry which had been made by the General Accounting Office, an official study. If you know a little bit about Roswell, you know what I am referring to. Yeah, there was, a, um, and which was published about the same time, nearly at the same time as the autopsy movie, and that, uh, said Lagrange, they had, they had accepted the, the Mogul balloon's explanation of the Air Force, mm -hmm. but that is not true. If, if you read the, the study of the GAO, uh, it is not true. They didn't say that. They said that the inquiry about what crashed at Roswell continues. That's what they said. Yes. So it was very, very um, bizarre and uh, aggressive uh, attack, suddenly, um, led by Lagrange and uh, followed by many others. Uh, <laughs> to tell you a little detail, amusing detail, in the first uh, article, he mentioned that uh, he and his uh, colleagues of Science TV, they, they, they mentioned that uh, there was green blood in that film, which uh, was a proof that it was... Uh, it was Baronet, it was uh, Oaks. Yeah. But the film was in black and white, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it was crazy. It was, it was uh, very strange. What happened next is that Jacques Pradel, the man from TF1, didn't realize that it was going to be very, very dangerous for him. 
And he presented the film in October, in a big show. I remember very sharply, you know, the story because I was just publishing my own book on Roswell at that time. Yeah. And I was invited at that show. It seemed to go well on the, on the, on the stage, but uh, then it was a very, very uh, harsh campaign. And he lost his job, actually. Oh, wow. He was the best paid man in French TV, and he lost his job after that, to tell you wow. the situation. And uh, <laughs> that was a turning point, and the French media became very negative uh, globally against, uh, not only against that story of autopsy and Roswell and all these stories of secrecy, of uh, um, conspirationist theories, etc. They became very, very hostile and negative. Hmm. I am able to speak about that for my, my own sake because I published several books and uh, with dwindling uh, sales, you know, yeah. at that time during these years. And, uh, but what happened is that there was a reaction and uh, we have already mentioned the Comita report in 1999. So that was the beginning of maybe a new, a new page which happened then. Yeah. And uh, which led to the recreation of the official service in 2005. And there was a change of mood in the media. For instance, the, the same newspapers which had been so violent in 1995 and uh, years after, which were uh, L'Express and Libération. Libération is a trending uh, daily paper, mm -hmm. and L'Express is a major uh, weekly magazine. They had been very aggressive against the film, the autopsy, and uh, again against the Comita report in 1999. But then, when the CNES, the French uh, National Center for Space Studies reopened the studies, they changed their mood, and um, L'Express, the magazine L'Express, devoted six pages, positive pages, on uh, the CNES studies, the Chapon studies, yeah. in, uh, that happened in 2006. But there was um, a kind of uh, hesitation. Some papers kept... Uh, publishing skeptical articles, but uh, others began to change a little bit. And uh, I can uh, testify to that because last last summer, last year, I had a full page, one full page interview in the, the same newspaper, Liberation. And it was positive. They gave me the, the one page to talk positively about UFOs. Hmm. So, the fight is going on. The fight is going on. Yeah. Between skeptics and believers, between quotes. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, there was, in last June, last year, there was a very negative, uh, a big uh, TV program on national television, which was quite negative. It gave the, the floor to the skeptics like uh, this man from uh, the Spanish Seacop, you know, which is called the Group Zetetic. The Zetetician, <laughs> it's a crazy name. And uh, the leader is um, a scientific person, uh, Henry Brock, who was on the stage and uh, who had the last word with uh, Pierre Lagrange also and people like that. Mm -hmm. 
So the situation today is uh, is more open, probably, but uh, it is not. Uh, we we have not yet won the the game. <laughs> yeah. Now we've talked about the media and the government and uh, the people in quotes, like you say, uh, the believers. What about the everyday people in France? Uh, what is their perspective on the UFO phenomenon, would you say? You say, you know, that originally a lot of these ufologists, after they didn't get answers, they became skeptical. Would you say that's sort of the general trend in France as far as the people go, or what would you say is the attitude in France of the general population? From what we can learn from, uh, with the, the polls, we, had, we don't have many polls not as many as in the United States. I made a study about that uh, several years ago. And um, when, uh, let's say, roughly speaking, the, the American public is uh, ready to admit the reality of UFOs, I would say, it, it depending on the years, from 30% to 50%, I would say. Mm -hmm. I know if recent polls have uh, confirmed that, it uh, depends how the questions are posed, etc. You know, but um, it's it's more um, <clears throat> like fifty percent clearly. But uh, in France, it is less. I would say that it is rather on the side of twenty percent or thirty percent will be a maximum in France. Okay. You see, so <clears throat> the the French people are more skeptical, yes, than the American people regarding UFOs and maybe other things. <laughs> <laughs> we, we still have a long way to go, I believe. Okay. But we are making some progress. There you go. Thanks to people like you, of course. Well, I hope so, yes. Yeah. I have written uh, five or six, six books now. And uh, there are many other books. I would like to pay tribute to my friend who is dead now. Uh, Pierre Pierre was an astronomer. Maybe the only astronomer who dared to take sides publicly in favor of UFOs many years ago. He was a guest uh, on a big French TV show on the beginning of the 70s, by the way, uh, and where he presented the, the, the book of uh, astronomer Einick, Alan Einick. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a successful uh, show. And um, the last year of his life, in 2000, he he finally published his own only book on UFOs called uh, UFOs, The Mechanism of Disinformation. So he was very concerned about uh, the problem of UFO secrecy. Yeah. There have been odd, some other books like that. I would like to quote the French, the, the, the book of my friend uh, François Parmentier, which was published uh, a couple of years ago. UFOs, 60 years of disinformation, and it's a very well-made book, but uh, these books uh, and others have been um, attacked by Pierre Lagrange last year, so again, <laughs> here we go again, in a book which, is, uh, which has a very, very peculiar title, it's called UFOs, what they don't want you to know. And uh, the subtitle says, uh, Army, Secret Services, Debunkers, and other Master of Intoxication. So when you read that, uh, if you don't know anything about UFOs and uh, you, you see that cover, you may think, oh, I am going to learn things about uh, UFO secrets. But not at all. 
It is exactly the opposite, in fact, because what he says is that uh, the real devotees are those who claim that there are useful secrets, because there are no secrets. That's what he says. Huh. It's a very skeptical book and a very aggressive book against all those who have uh, worked and written about uh, the problem of useful secrecy. Wow. The main line of the book is, no, no, they are wrong. They are the real debunkers. There are no useful secrets. And uh, it has been a success, well, rather, I don't know if it's a big success in the public, but it has awarded Lagrange uh, another round of uh, invitation in the big media. is still uh, there on the TV programs in the... Uh, French press like the Figaro and all this, uh, other publications is still there. So it's a mixed bag today, you see. There are pros and cons. It is very difficult to make a pronostic of, about how things are going to turn out in France in the coming months and years. Yeah. I don't really know. And what would you say the reaction was over in France to the release of the French UFO files last March? And um, I'm sure... A lot of the American listeners and American ufologists, we don't speak French, so we have to rely on folks like you to tell us what they said. So um, what was your take on the files that got released? Well, my opinion is that it is a very positive action, of course. Mm -hmm. But as the engineer warned, there are no new big uh, files, yeah. as you see, unreleased. The biggest cases, we know them already, among those which have are being published. Mm -hmm. But it is a very positive action and it has been globally rather well received. As I mentioned, uh, the, the, the number one French weekly magazine, L'Express, has uh, published six full pages, uh, positive pages on the shape on files, uh, covering several cases like uh, Trans en Provence, the landing in 1991, and all the cases, famous cases, like uh, there was this um, French uh, um, airliner, airline, uh, Air France um, uh, commercial plane with Commander Duboc, who is a witness, interesting witness, of, who saw a huge UFO over the area of Paris. Now, this is uh, a bit controversial because there was a radar, radar uh, record, but not exactly at the same place as the UFO, so it is a complex case, and which uh, allows the skeptics to denounce it as a, a false case, etc. Mm -hmm. So there is still controversy, and uh, the skeptics have published a book uh, criticizing practically all the best cases of Chepard, <laughs> but it is not, they didn't find any publisher in, on paper. They, they published it on the internet, by the way. Oh, wow. Yes, it is funny because there are actually many more books positive on UFOs than skeptical books. On the other hand, in the media and the television, so far, I think we can say that the skeptics still have uh, the advantage yeah. in the debate. It's curious. Yeah, it is interesting. Do you think that that is a result of a, an organized cover-up, if you will, and, and it involves the media as well, and the government and that whole thing? Uh -huh, that's a big question. <laughs> is there, is there a, a French chapter of organized cover-up? 
Um, well, uh, I wouldn't go as far as saying that, but I uh, feel, I strongly feel, like the people of Kovita, by the way, that, uh, yes, there are some uh, agents of debunking in France, yes. Yes. Uh, and, uh, well, I don't want to, to insist too much on that, but we definitely have this in, this feeling, like uh, my friend Parmentier and people of Cometa and others. Mm-hmm. Yes, we have that impression, but uh, we can't prove that. Yeah. It's difficult to, to discuss that. Just like in America. Yes, probably, yes. <laughs> <laughs> now... In your article, you raise an interesting point about uh, the question of percentages, and uh, oh yes, that's definitely something I want to talk to you about. So uh, let's sort of dive into that issue of percentages because you sort of yes. take the perspective that it's more than the usual uh, believed uh, five to ten percent that most people yes. chalk up, and you say it's probably higher. So let's talk about that. Well, yes, it's it's one of the very positive aspects of the release of the. Files, the official French files, because they have completely reevaluated the, the percentage of unidentified cases. Mm-hmm. If you go to the website, you will see that they give 28% of unidentified cases. So uh, it is much more than it used to be. Even recently, in the books, still favorable to UFOs, like the book of uh, Velasco and the book of Yves Sillard. Now the, the president of the steering committee of Japan, they gave figures of uh, 13% to 14%. So it's quite a jump to 28% now. It's uh, rather peculiar. And, but when you go back in time and you see the story of uh, the percentages, you, you realize that there were other high percentages like that. For instance, in the 1950s in the United States, the Blue Book uh, asked a study to the Battle Memorial Institute, and uh, it was um, they, they arrived at the, in the special report 14, uh, how is it called now, to a percentage of 21.5 percent of unknowns. It was a very serious study in the in the, in the 50s mm-hmm. over the period of 1952 to 1954. There are nearly uh, 2,000 cases, nearly, about the same as Japon, um, the uh, same order of uh, figures. And um, there was even another percentage, uh, even higher, in the first study of the engineer Claude Poirier. He reached 38%. On the other hand, we have been living during uh, several decades with official percentage much lower than that like uh, 2% or 2 to 5%. Yes. The, the last word of uh, Blue Book was about 5%. Mm-hmm. And uh, perhaps you will remember that Nick Pope gives about the same figures for uh, the official files in, uh, in England. Yeah. 2 to 5%. Well, perhaps they are going to revise that figure. Too. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that... Well, it depends how you, you consider the cases, of course. But I would say that very roughly the number of unknown cases is more on the side of 20% than 2%. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. The final sort of question I have here, and hopefully we can get it in, is uh, 
What would, what would you say the state of French ufology is nowadays? It's, is it coming around? Is it promising? Yes, it's, um, I think uh, we can be fairly optimistic, I would say, that uh, the French uh, are back on the map of ufology and uh, that we are going to make some progress, hopefully. I hope so. Excellent. And, and what's coming up next for you? What do you have uh, coming down the line? Any more trips to America? I hope so. And, um, you know, what, well, what do we have, what do you have possibly, planned? I don't have an invitation for the time being. <laughs> but, uh, yes, if I, I am invited, I will be glad to come, of course. But I have just published a new book, which is not completely new, which is called uh, Celestial Visions and Cosmic Visions, in which I try to cover the whole history of uh, visions of all kinds, from ancient mythology to uh, UFOs today. And I have even included science fiction and uh, modern art, which is another topic uh, I have studied a lot. So it's um, a general uh, presentation of uh, cosmic and celestial visions. The idea is that our relations with the cosmos is a very important, and we we have perhaps forgotten that. Yeah. Uh, well, that's my idea. Okay. Gildas, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show and for your patience here with these with the phone issues. I really appreciate um, you giving me so much time and being available over the last few days to, uh, to take well, this interview. Well, I was pleased to do that. Excellent, excellent. And I hope that we can speak again sometime. Uh, and, and, and really keep keep exploring this international aspect of ufology because I think France has a rich history right. and a fascinating perspective on the UFO scene. So thank yes, you again uh, for coming on the show. I thank you to have invited me. That does it for this week's edition of BOA Audio Season 3. Big, big, super huge thanks to Gildas Bordes for coming on the show. I don't have a website to plug, but we do have a link up at the audio page to an in-depth article he wrote on the death and rebirth of official French UFO studies. Fascinating piece, 10 pages long. It's really outstanding stuff. Definitely want to check that out. Moving right along now, it's time for BOA Audio listener feedback. This week we're not going to read a specific email, just respond to some of the emails we've gotten here over the past week. Many people wrote in to us about the death of esoteric radio pioneer Michael Corbin. And I definitely just want to put over how hugely important Michael Corbin was to esoteric radio. He was definitely one of the people who laid the groundwork for folks like me and shows like BOA Audio. For those of you unfamiliar with Michael Corbin, definitely want to check out the website rememberingmichael.wordpress.com. It's a new website that's been set up to, as the title sort of suggests, Remember Michael Corbin. He was a tremendous esoteric radio interviewer. He spoke to just about every big name in the field, and as I said, he definitely was a trailblazer for the online esoteric world as well. We'd like to make a big point here on the show of remembering the history of the paranormal world that so often gets lost in the shuffle. We definitely want to put over Michael Corbin here at the end of the program, dedicate this week's show to him, and thank him for his work and contributions to the field of esoteric radio. If you'd like to be a part of BOA Audio listener feedback, there's three ways to do it. Yes, we've added one. You can write to boaaudio at hotmail.com, or you can go to benallofamerica.com and click the contact button. The third method is join up at the BOA forum, theusofe.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com. 
join up there. It's free. You can post your questions, comments, and discuss the various BOA Audio episodes there. I'm going to try and throw that plug in more often here at the end of the show for folks who haven't checked out the USV.com, the official BOA forum. Regardless of how you get in touch with me, it all funnels towards BOA HQ and into the BOA Audio listener feedback mailbag. Up next, of course, is the thanks portion of the show. Let me run down the list of the fantastic BOA staff. Leslie, Chiron, R. Lee, Joe V., Tina Senna, and Rochelle Hawks. There's always some great stuff from the BOA writing staff. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, there are new columns at BOA on a continual basis. So there's so much going on at BOA. If you're only listening to BOA Audio and you're not reading the columns, you're only getting half the story. Banalofamerica.com, make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. Much like I was kvetching about last week, what you just heard in tonight's episode, hour and a half long call to Paris, France. A few weeks ago you heard an hour and a half call to Ireland. Before that, a two-hour call to South Africa. Ladies and gentlemen, that's three long international phone calls. I can't even tell you how much those cost me. If we want to keep reaching out across the oceans and speaking with great esoteric minds from around the globe, we're going to need your help to offset the costs. How do you do that? Simple. You go to banalofamerica.com or the BOA Audio Archive page, click the PayPal button, and make a donation. No donation is too small and all donations go towards keeping BOA Audio and Banal of America up and running and keeps the cost at what it is now, which is free for all of our great listeners and readers worldwide. Next week on the program, it's the second annual BOA Audio Baseball Special. We got so much great feedback on that last year that I definitely want to do another one, and so it shall come to pass. I've already taped about a half hour with Paul Kimball, taped a half hour with Lauren Coleman. I've got three other folks on tap to tape. We're going to be talking about all the big stories in the baseball world from the offseason. We're going to get the opinions of former BOA Audio guests, each of whom are great esoteric pundits and researchers. Plus, we're going to do something a little different this year. We're going to get predictions down to the division winners and wildcard winners, National League, American League champions, who's going to win the World Series. All of the guests are going to have their predictions. And then at the end of the season, we're going to look back and figure out who did best and all that fun stuff. So it's going to be a really fun episode. I'm already having a lot of fun taping these interviews. For the baseball fans in the audience, they're going to enjoy this show a lot, I'm sure. For those folks that aren't baseball fans, I apologize, but we want to do something a little off the beaten path, a little off topic, a little lighthearted here as the springtime begins and the baseball season kicks off. So next week it is the second annual BOA Audio Baseball Special featuring Paul Kimball, Lauren Coleman, and a few other guests to be named later. And on that note, we close it out here for the week. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have or had a wonderful Easter holiday. Until next time, this is Tim Benall, thanking you for listening and signing off.